This is on. You can hear me. Cool. All right. So hi. <laughs> like Pastor said, my name is Faith Hassett. If you don't know who I am, um, that's who I am. <laughs> I grew up here <laughs> in Lafayette. Yeah, these are the ones. Um, I grew up here in Lafayette, um, and I grew up going to Victory ever since I was a baby. Um, and just for the past two years, I've been living in South Africa in Johannesburg and a part of an internship called Impact Missionary Experience. And I initially signed up to go for six months, and I'm still there, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, but I just want to say, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for being awesome support over the past two years, whether this is your first time or you've also been going to Victory Forever, because you guys seriously are the most incredible supporters. Like, people in Africa, they always ask me, like, oh, do you have, like, a really big church? Because they always have, like, such awesome support and everything. I'm like, no, it's not really that big, but you guys are amazing. And everyone, even everyone there is amazed by your support. Um, I'm so grateful. So, yeah, I'm really glad to be speaking. Um, Public speaking is not, like, something that I love, but I know that the Lord has put something on my heart, and um, he's given me a lot of peace about it, even if I'm a little bit nervous. So um, I hope that you get something out of it. Just a lot of what the Lord has been teaching me over the past two years that I've been in South Africa. So um, I just want to tell you a little bit about what I do. So um, I work in a department of Impact called Impact Baby Rescue, like Pastor Bill said. And the reason Impact Baby Rescue is formed is because um, in, in Johannesburg, in South Africa, there's a problem of baby dumping um, because the mothers, they are desperate. They live in these um, squatter camps or townships, and they live in these small shacks, um, and they often don't have jobs. If they do have jobs, they may not be steady jobs, um, and they have no way to provide. Rape is very common, and so is pr a promiscuous lifestyle or maybe a man having multiple um, girlfriends or multiple wives, and so because of this, a lot of people have unwanted pregnancies, and they feel no way out. They don't know what to do. They have no option, so they'll either end up getting an abortion, or they'll end up dumping their baby once they've had the baby, um, and like I said, it's just a lot of desperation. They don't feel like they have any other options, so Impact Africa has Impact Baby Rescue. We're inside two three, three of the communities in South Africa. We have a center where they can come for pregnancy counseling. Um, they can call at any time if they just want to talk, if they're feeling like they might want to dump their baby or have an abortion, or even if they just have kids and they need counseling about how to have kids, how to change a diaper or whatever, we can um, be there for them. So we go into the clinics every week. We go into the hospitals. And we just let people know about the problems, um, about illegal abortions that are very dangerous and um, obviously, they kill the baby and they hurt the mother um, a lot. And then a lot of times, people actually die from those illegal abortions because they're not safe or sanitary or anything. So they're able to be there in the communities and be a light for them. And we've actually seen at one of the hospitals that we work at, we work there with a few other organizations. We go in and do our presentations and give them our flyer with their phone number on it. And then a few other organizations will go in and give like little baby packs of diapers and you know things that you need for the first few days. We've actually been able to see at that hospital, um, they're often babies abandoned, just left there um, at the hospital. And we've been able to see over the past year and a half a gra drastic decrease in the abandonments there at that hospital. I think it was like 30 every year, and now it's down to about eight in the past year and a half um, at that hospital. So it's been really amazing to see those results just in the decrease of abandonments and even just seeing mothers come that say, like, I was going to have an abortion, and then I heard your presentation, and I decided not to, and this is my, my baby because of that. So... I, I love to be a part of that. So when I go back, I'll be going back on the 5th of January, and I'll be working with the baby home that Impact Africa is starting. 
And the baby home is for those moms that do decide that they can't keep their babies, they maybe are in a desperate situation or whatever the reason, and um, so then the baby needs a new home. So I'll be working with the baby home where the baby will stay until they're adopted, because that's the ultimate goal. We know that children weren't meant to be raised in an institution, so I'll be working to get them adopted into a living family. Um, so I'll be taking care of the kids as an auntie, um, and then also doing administrative tasks to help keep the home running. So I'm going to be talking today about my favorite subject, the subject of missions. Um, so I hope that you all are ready to take lots of notes. All right, so we're going to read in Matthew, if you have your Bible or a device that has a Bible on it. In Matthew 28, I'm sure you're surprised, um, verses 16 through 20, it says, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right, let's pray quickly before I start. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to speak, Lord. I just pray that you would speak through me and speak into each one of these people's lives. God, do what you want to do. Um, may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're just going to go through this passage and quickly tell you three things that this passage is not and three things that it is. So this command at the end of Jesus' life is not an afterthought. So a lot of people kind of like almost dismiss or maybe they just ignore because it's like it's at the end of Jesus' life. It's the last thing that he says in Matthew. And they kind of like maybe treat it like it's like tacked on to the end of it. Like, oh, yeah, and by the way, go like tell everyone in the world about me. And that's it. You know, just like a little afterthought. It is a summary of Jesus' whole life and mission. Um, there is a quote by Tony Evans. He says, if you want to know what mattered most to someone, read his last words. Usually, whatever a person considers to be the most important on, is on his mind when he comes to his last days on earth. That is why we pay so much attention to last words, especially those of people important to us. As those who seek to be obedient followers of Jesus Christ, we need to know what matters most to him so it can matter most to us. Thankfully, we don't have to wonder about it. After his resurrection from the dead and just before his ascension back into heavven, Jesus told his disciples and us what was uppermost on his mind. His last words on earth are recorded for us in Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20. So I don't know how many of you have taken a speech class. I'm assuming most because it's required in high school. But speech class, they tell you, and even in other writing classes, that um, in order to have a good speech or paper, you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. <laughs> so... I'm going to show you how uh, Jesus did this with his life on earth. It wasn't just his last thing that he said. It, he did just that. So um, the first scripture we'll go to is Luke 2, 8 through 11. And this is when the angels are announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So 
here the angel, he says just there, he says that he is the Savior, the Messiah, which is the promised deliverer, the Lord. So even in this verse, he's, he's telling us what Jesus came to do. He came to be the Savior. So let's tell them what you're going to tell them. <laughs> and then Luke 19.20, or 19.10, sorry. Just Jesus himself saying, this is him saying, this is the message. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is what he came for. Um, know the purpose and to seek and save the lost through his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, and then also in Matthew 4, um, we see Jesus, he goes to the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And then uh, when he comes out, this is when his, his ministry begins. And it's interesting because the first thing, it says, from that time on, this is verse 17, from that time on, he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. So this is the first thing that he does. He goes out and he starts telling people to repent because God has come near. And then as soon as the next verse in 18 says, as Jesus was walking beside the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish out, send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So once again, this is the first thing that Jesus does after coming out um, to begin his ministry. He goes and he calls people to follow him. That was why he's here. He was to call people to follow him. And even calling them, he tells them the purpose that he's calling them for. The purpose was to go out and fish for people. That's the first thing he said, listen, you're going to come follow me, and what we're going to do is, is fish for people. So that's Jesus. He tell, tells you what you're going to tell him, and he's telling them, and then tell them what you told them, and that's in Matthew 4, 18 through 20. So it wasn't the first time that he was saying this. All throughout the Bible, even in his parables, if you just pay attention, notice that everything points back to this. It points back to God seeking after his people. Um, and that's what, that's what he came to do. Okay, so that was, going back, that was the first thing. The um, Great Commission's not um, an afterthought. So the second thing is, the, the Great Commission's not an optional suggestion. It is a command for every person who is a follower of Jesus. And I'll talk about that more on my next point, which is the command is not for a special group of elite Christians called missionaries. It's for all disciples. So when you read um, Matthew in chapter 28, when it says, it says that Jesus called his disciples and he said, go and make disciples. You notice there's only one word to describe them in that, in that sentence. It's disciples and disciples. So we don't find Christians and missionaries. We find disciples you know that there's not even an occurrence of the word missionary in the Bible? That's just a word that we've made up. It's not in the Bible. It's just disciple. And so as disciples, it's, it's all of our calling to reach the lost. This is the only reason that Jesus came, and that's what his, what his heart is about right now on earth, is to, to make disciples and for his people to be making disciples. So if the Great Commission was the entire purpose of Jesus coming to earth, and it's not optional, and it's not just for missionaries, it's for everyone, then what do we do with this information? Because we can know about it, but the Bible says not to just hear the word, but to do it. So I'm going to try to make it practical so that we can, I like sermons where you can feel like you have something to like do afterwards or you know apply to your life. 
So the foundation of living at the Great Commission is realizing that missions is not an activity on the field. It's a condition of your heart. It's not something that you plan to do, like we're going to go do an outreach now. I mean, you can do that, but that's not missions. That's, that's just an outlet of missions. That's a way that you can do missions, but missions is an activity of your heart. Because when it's an activity, or a, sorry, a condition of your heart, when it's, when it's that, it doesn't matter where you live, and it doesn't matter what your job description is. You'll always be making disciples. If you get this one thing, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you live here, if you live in Africa or in Asia, in Lafayette or in California. You'll always always be making disciples because it's not something that you turn on and turn off. It's just who you are because that's who Jesus is. So the first word in Matthew 28 and in his command, the first word is go. So there are there were many ways that we can go, but I'm going to focus on two. So the first is by actually doing that by picking up and going to another city or another country um, and going to preach the gospel. And the second is actually by staying where you are. But I'm going to focus on the first one for right now. So there's a desperate need for people to go. There's a need here in America, yes, there's a need um, in Lafayette, but there's a desperate, desperate need around the world. Um, There's actually over 2.8 billion people who have never heard the gospel. They don't have a church in their community. They don't have a pastor in their community. They don't have a missionary in their community. They've never known a Christian, and they've never heard the gospel. And they will never hear the gospel unless someone goes to them. And it's a hard truth. It's a hard reality, and people may want to argue it just because it is so hard. But if no one goes to them, they will spend eternity in hell without Jesus. And that's the truth. And there are people every single day who are dying without hearing Jesus. And there needs to be people to go to them. Um, a lot of these people, they live in unreached people groups, which means that they don't have people in their society that will tell them about Jesus. So, like, if someone lives in Lafayette, they may have the chance to hear about Jesus because there's churches in Lafayette. But for the person who lives in that remote community in India, there's not even a person in their community who's a Christian. So they don't have the opportunity to hear unless someone comes from outside and goes and tells them. So, um... I would urge you to pray and seek the Lord. I know a lot of people, they like maybe, they, they're afraid of it or they don't want to, or, but I um, urge you to seek the Lord about if he wants you to go because people do need to go. Um, it's a need. Um, when missionary Hudson Taylor was speaking to people about China, the land that he loved and spent his life in as a missionary, he said, it will not do to say that you have no special call to go to China. With these facts before you and with the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay at home. And I would say the same thing with, um, it would not do to say that you have no special call to go to the unreached um, with these facts before you. Um, and the command of the Lord Jesus, it would, it would do rather to say that you have a special call to stay at home. Um, so, but even for those of you who do feel that special call to stay at home, you're still a missionary. Congratulations. So, um, each one of you has a mission field that I will never have. You each have neighbors that I'll probably never have and family that I will never have. You have... Um, what is it, co-workers that I will never have. Um, you may even go to grocery stores that I'll never go to. Um, so you have a unique opportunity to share the gospel that I won't have. And um, so with missions as a condition of your heart, 
you have the opportunity to share the gospel in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your grocery store, everywhere. Um, because that's that's where people are. People are at your job, and there doesn't need to be a missionary to go be sent to Wabash because there's already Christians there who can do it. And I don't have to go be a missionary. You guys can be a missionary. I mean, I do. I am, but you know what I mean. In your place, where you are. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, you have that unique opportunity, and I would encourage you to seize that opportunity because that's how people become Christians. But I also want to encourage you that the gospel is a message, and the the word gospel actually means good news. So it is news, um, and people have to be told. A life and death message usually isn't communicated by playing charades. Um, that's a little too important to try to play charades. So if I had a message to tell you that would affect whether you lived or died, I wouldn't be playing charades. I'd be trying to tell you in the clearest way possible. So um, we as Christians, we sometimes try to play charades when it comes to our faith. We like maybe try to live an integrous life and do the right things and then hope that maybe someone will ask us about our faith. But when it's a life and death situation, we want to be active in sharing our faith. There's a quote by, it's um, credited to St. Francis of Sisi, and it says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And I would agree with this quote only because I believe using words is always necessary, not just sometimes. Um, Your life and actions should back up what you've already said, not try to say what you're not saying. Um, Yeah, so um, the parable of the shepherd who left the 99, uh, he was seeking out the one that was lost, wasn't waiting for the sheep to wander back to him. So we shouldn't be the ones that wait for someone to ask us about our faith before we share about it. We should be constantly, because if it's, if it's really essential to our lives, and missions is a condition of our heart, then we will be active in sharing about it, because it'll just come out of us. If we're full of it, we'll overflow with it um, into the people that are around us. So there's a cool story. I asked Donna Marshall if I could share this, because I thought it was really awesome. But... Um, she was at the grocery store. She was at Walmart, and they live on the west side, so she was at the one there, and so there's a lot of Purdue students there. And she noticed a couple girls who looked like they were from another country. They had, like, the hijab on that was um, Muslim. And so she went up and just started talking to them and asking them, like, are you from here? Where are you from? Are you at Purdue? What are you studying? Just talking to them, just like a normal conversation, and um, ended up asking them if they'd ever experienced an American Thanksgiving, and they said no. They hadn't been here very, very, very long, and they'd actually never been into an American's house before. And so she said, well, why don't you just come over to our house for Thanksgiving? Just invited them over, and they ended up coming over to their house for Thanksgiving. And that, I think that's just such an awesome example of just being the one, the initiator, the one to step out and to share the love of Christ, invite someone into your home. And, um, yeah, to show them the love of Jesus. And I think it's really cool. We live in a city that's a gold mine of people from all different nations. We have an opportunity that many people in, uh, sorry, cities around Indiana don't have. And it's that Purdue has students from 127 different countries. And of those, I found that at least 32 of them are on the world watch list, which is um, list the top 50 countries that where people are being persecuted most severely for their faith. So um, at these countries, it would be very hard or impossible to obtain a visa to go be a missionary there because they're persecuting Christians. But they've come to our backyard. They're literally in 
our city. So we don't have to go to Saudi Arabia or Malaysia to share with Saudi Arabians and Malaysians because they're at Purdue. There's numbers, there's statistics, I looked it up. They're at Purdue and we can share with them and we can be missionaries to these countries without even leaving our city. Um, so I would really encourage you to seek those people out and even just be friends with them and share your faith um, through your words and through living with them. There's an awesome sermon I would encourage you to listen to by Matt Chandler at the Village Church that's in Texas, and it's called Hospitality and the Greatest Sermon Ever, or The Greatest Story Ever Told. It just shares about um, how inviting people into your home and how being a hospitable person, you can have such an open door to share the gospel and be a light for Jesus. So it starts with a conversation. It starts with saying hello and sharing life. And if missions is a condition of your heart, it will it will turn into you sharing the gospel. And that's how people encounter the love of Jesus. So in conclusion, every single one of us is called to be a disciple who's making other disciples. And you can call it a missionary if you want, but in the end, it really is just discipleship. Um, so I have some resources. I, I don't think we have papers to give out, but I can give them to you. I know Impact Africa has mission trips. If you're interested in coming to South Africa, I will be there. Um, and you can come on one of those trips. There's um, sermons I can get, tell you about. There's a class called Bridges that's actually about Muslim ministry. And it is really amazing because Muslim ministry seems very intimidating. But when you take the class, it's very, very simple. Um, and it's a great resource. And then there's a website called Joshua Project that um, gives you a lot of information about unreached people groups so you can pray for them and possibly go be a missionary to them. <laughs> so um, that's all I have, but I would like to pray for everyone. Is that good? All right. Okay. So I just want to pray for people. I know that there might be some people who feel they have not been preaching the gospel to people in their circles like they should be and want to change that. Maybe you need prayer for courage and boldness. And for people who feel like the Lord might be drawing them away to another country to spread the gospel. And maybe maybe you're even like feeling that and, and wishing you weren't feeling that and pretending like you don't feel that. And you also need prayer for boldness. So um, I just want to pray for you guys and yeah, and talk to you guys after the ser- after the service if you want. So in prayer. <laughs> How old were you when uh, when you first thought about going to the mission field? How old are you now? I'm 19. You're 18? 19. 19, okay. And how old uh, were you when you first got the thought from the Holy Spirit or, or you know, what happened? How old is my mom? Six. <laughs> Six years old. Yeah. And and what, what uh, Laurel? Let's get Laurel a microphone. Uh, <laughs> what... Uh, Okay, so at age six, you didn't go and say, Mom, I'm leaving home and, and going to the mission field. So what, uh, what happened? No, uh, Laura, what happened? Interestingly enough, at age six, she did say that when I grow up, I want to go to Africa and tell the people there about the God that loves them. That's what she said. At age six? Yeah. And what did you think? Um, I just said, okay, that would be a great thing to do. <laughs> Not realizing that, yep, sure enough, she's going to do it <laughs> at 17. <laughs> so then it continued to grow, and then it yeah. reached a point where somewhere you sat down with your mom and dad and, and said, I really, originally you were thinking about going with Teen Mania. 
And, uh, and then that really didn't work out because that wasn't God's plan. But the right door did open, but you were moving toward a door. Sometimes you just have to move towards something. How many of you ever moved towards something and the Lord redirected your path? And then you sometimes think you miss God, but I don't know that so much you miss God as it is you're moving with the best knowledge you have at the time. And then God, because he loves us so much, he'll direct our path and he'll steer us in the direction where he wants us. It's hard. It seems to be hard to steer something that's not moving, but something that's moving is fairly easy to steer. So uh, all of a sudden then you decided that's what you wanted to do. How old were you when you, well, you were... 17 or 18 when you were going to go to Teen Mania, and then what happened? Yeah, I was 16 when I was um, going to the Honor Academy, and then um, at that time, everything got switched around. I decided not to go, so then I, I actually applied for the internship at Impact Africa when I was 16, and then I went when I was 17. But, but how did you hear about it? I had gone on a mission trip with Teen Mania to Australia in 2012, and my team leader on the trip um, ended up going to the internship at Impact Africa and staying on his staff. So I like kept up with her through Facebook, and I knew about the internship that okay, way. Okay, so she then came to you and Mark and said, I, I want to go to South uh, Africa mm -hmm. and be an intern. And your first reaction was, okay, go ahead and go. Yeah, pretty much. Was it really? <laughs> yeah. Is it that was, what it was? It was, yeah, just because I think Mark had spent all this, Mark, the Lord... <laughs> That kind of makes it sound like he's the Lord to me, but <laughs> the Lord had spent all those years preparing our hearts, I think, for... Okay, now time. somewhere you had to not entertain, but somewhere there had to have been a fear factor trying to say, what about the finances? What about being so far away from home? I mean, you had to have fought off something. Um, I don't... <laughs> That's okay to say I, you didn't. Well, no, I'm, yeah, I don't think we did. Good. I, yeah, which is kind of hard for me because I have other parents, her best friend's mom in particular, who, who's dealing with the same thing because her best friend is moving to Africa in January. And, so, and her mom does have the fear factor. And so it's hard for me because then they ask me, how did you handle it? I'm like, I don't, I'm not a good person to ask because I don't know. I just, um, th it wasn't there, so... Well, you're a good person to find out why it wasn't there because most people don't do what God has called them to do because of two elements of fear. Number one is the fear of failure, and number two is the fear of finances. And both of them, you, if you don't break loose of both of them and trust God completely with the fact that if I fail, I fail, He'll correct it and He'll get me where I want to go, then you'll always pick your own course and your own path. So obviously you didn't have that fear. You must have had enough word in you and the bearing of a witness in your spirit that this is really where she should be going, both of you, both you and Mark. Right. I think for me personally, I had had enough. The Lord had given me enough words over the years um, about that. Like there was one time when she was still fairly young. She might have gone on her first missions trip when she was 13 at that point. I was reading a magazine article by a missionary who was a young woman, and I thought, gosh, I wonder if one day I'll be doing this with faith. I'll, like, be reading an article that Faith read. And I just felt in the spirit that the Lord said, yes, because that's what I've called her to. And so there was just those things over the years that the Lord had dropped in my spirit. So I already, like, knew that that was going to happen. It's kind of funny because before she went on her first mission trip at 13, 
because she had said when she was six she wanted to be a missionary, that's just what I would tell people is that if they'd ask, I'd say she wants to be a missionary when she grew up. Well, when she was like 10, 11, or 12, she would tell me, Mom, stop telling people I want a missionary. I don't know if I want to be a missionary yet. I know I said it when I was six, but I don't know that yet. <laughs> so, but, yeah, <laughs> it turned out to be so. <laughs> so when, when you first made the decision to go then, you needed how much money uh, f- to start the whole program? Basically fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand, and Dad just had it laying around his pocket. <laughs> what? Uh, so what? What you obviously uh, said, Mom and Dad, this is what I need to fulfill God's plan. Fifteen thousand dollars. Yep. Okay, and where did it come from? Jesus. <laughs> so so uh, supernaturally. Yeah. Oh yeah. In yeah. other words, you didn't have the money saved up, sitting around waiting to go which most of us do. I've never in my life... Most of us don't. Pardon? Don't. Uh, what did I say? Do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the do is raise your hand. We want to visit, visit with you. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't, really. So that was, a, that was a tremendous leap of faith. You knew your parents didn't have the money. Okay. And I know you knew that the Lord was your source, but even so... That was a tremendous step of faith for you to make that commitment. What what gave you the courage to do that? Um, I think it's never really been, like, really on my mind whether God is going to provide. And I think that he, like, helped build that up for me because when I went on my first mission trip to Mexico, 2011, it was only, like, I think eight, $700 or $800 to go. So there was, like, a small step to raise that. And then I went on my mission trip to Australia, and that was 4500 so it was a little bit bigger. And then I went again to Mexico, but I went with my two brothers and Reuben Harbolt. So then it ended up being like even more money than the Australia trip. So it kind of like helped build me up to um, building my faith and then get to that point where. So what was the biggest fear that the devil tried to attack you with? Because I know you're a woman of faith, both of you, and a man of faith, but also know the enemy comes. And we all know when he comes, we, you know, we know it's an attack from the devil. So What's the biggest attack you can share with us that you had that you really had to fight off? Before I went or when I was there? Whatever. Okay. Um, before I went, it was more just like the whole aspect of leaving home. I mean, obviously, I was I was homeschooled, so I was at home all day, every day, and really close to my family. And so moving to Africa is pretty big change. Um, so I wasn't scared about moving to Africa. It was more just like being away from my family. and ended up not even being like really an issue. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't too homesick. <laughs> But yeah, that was the um, that was the fear, and then just like general insecurity when I got to Africa, just like learning to share your faith, and um, it is really intimidating at first, but once you relax, it's just a conversation. So you just kept focused on what God had shown you to do, mm-hmm. Mom. How about you? I, you know, that's that's your daughter uh, saying, <laughs> "I'm going to South Africa where okay. I've never been." Yeah, I figured that was coming. Um, that. Um, I haven't had the fear factor of her flying over there and being over there and it's in Africa and all that stuff. But I do have um, that, you know, she's over there and that far away and there isn't the daily or even the weekly or the monthly doing things together. And um, I do love Facebook and being able to see the things that she does. But then at the same time, um, I have a hard time with seeing the things that she does with other people and that, you know, I start to feel like... um, <laughs> you know that that they're there for her every day and I'm and I'm not and like well they become closer to her than me and then 
you know, will she even care to seek me out because she knows them better than, and they know her better than, and, and I see the directors, Jacob and Betsy, who I know are amazing, wonderful people, but then they're going to be like her mom and dad, which is, on the one hand, I praise God that, that they're there for her, but then at the other hand, I'm like, but I want us to be there for her, and, and, um, <laughs> and I told my mom, we went to several weddings this summer, and I said, I found that weddings are sad for me um, now, um, I have a hard time with them because I think about when she gets married, will I know the guy that she marries at all, and what part will I play in planning that wedding, or will we just show up the week of the wedding and then go home afterward, <laughs> and, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, I had a thought from God the other day, I think, I don't know, but the scripture, I've always put it that it would pertain to faith, and that when you give up things like family and home and everything that she's given up, God will will provide all of that for her. And so then I put that on myself and I go, okay, you've taken my daughter who I think is amazing. So my daughter-in-laws better be just as amazing. (laughs) 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 Give them both a hand for what they've shared. Don't go away. Don't go away. How about dad? How about, how how have you been handling all this, Mark? Well, my, my fear is, is her safety. um, Because I'm not there. And even if she was here, I can't always protect her, but that's, you know, um, safety, you know. So how do you break through it? What do you do? I go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Good Good word. (laughs) Good word. How many of you have ever thought, uh, you know, if I say, did God tell you to go to the mission field, then you're going to be very reluctant to raise your hand and because you're still sitting here in Lafayette. But, but how many of you have ever had a thought to go to the mission field? Uh, can, can I see your hands? Just see, you, Oh, guys, looks about 20, 30 of you, 40 of you. Um, you the, once you break through the fear of failure and the fear of finances, then you're free to do whatever you think God's telling you fully knowing that there are times you might miss God's best. But if you miss God's best with a pure heart, then God, just as I said earlier, directs us, changes our path. I heard this years ago, a sailboat in the harbor, doesn't matter where they put the rudder, it's not going to go anywhere. You start to sail, and you can get the rudder, and you can go whatever direction it is. So uh, tell us about some things that, uh, it, that, if you can, that didn't work out quite the way you thought it would, and it was a disappointment, but God just turned right around and, and showed you and learned something from it. I love the Scripture, Romans eight twenty eight. God uses all things for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. A lot of people quote that scripture, but it doesn't always work for them because they're not called to his purpose. They're called to their purpose. And unless we're pursuing his purpose, then that scripture is not going to fulfill in you the way God wants it to be fulfilled. We've got to be moving in the direction of his purpose. So you got anything that you could share with them? Because every single person here has the same opportunity, the fear of failure and the fear of finances, to hold them right where they are and say, I'll just stay right here because I'm comfortable, but yet God will try to bring us out of our comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, as far as, like, sharing the gospel in in the communities, I remember we did our training, and because it's a year-long internship, rather than, like, on a short-term trip, you could do just, like, a day or two of training, but we were able to do a good, like, week or two weeks of training, and so they would 
train us about how to share the gospel, and then they have us, like, do it with each other. And I remember this was, like, within the first few weeks of my first year internship last year, so it was almost two years ago, and I remember we did that, and then I was, like, saying the thing, like, please don't make me the missionary one. Please let me, you know, like, please don't choose me. And it's like, okay, Faith and Bree, you guys can be the missionaries. I was like, oh, okay, fine. So we get there, and we're, like, doing it, and I'm, like, kind of letting the other girl talk, and just, and then she just kind of, like, nudges me with her elbow. And I, like, completely, like, blank. Like, nothing in my brain, nothing. And so I'm just, like, sitting there completely silent, and <laughs> I, like, couldn't think of nothing to say. And then even my director, like, leaned over and was like, you can say this. And I just, like... I didn't even say what he said. I was, like, so nervous. And I was so, like, discouraged after that. I was like, how am I going to share the gospel? I'm like, this isn't even a real situation. Um, But it was really cool because then a few months later, we had teams coming from the States that were just on short trips. And then we as interns were able to train them a little bit. And we did the mock thing as interns to show them and I was the missionary again and I was just able to do it way way better after all the practice in the communities and so (coughs) I know sharing your faith is like really intimidating but it just takes practice honestly like anything else you just do it and do it until you get better at it and God sees that you're trying and he'll bless your efforts even if they're really feeble and (laughs) kind of unfortunate (laughs) Praise God. What, what, why don't everyone that would like to go on a mission trip, why don't you stand? You, you just would love to go visit another country. Would you stand just for a moment? And I'm going to have faith pray for you because many times it is that fear factor that just holds us back. So, faith, why don't you pray for everybody? <laughs> All right, dear Lord, thank you for everything that you're doing in this church and in these people's hearts. God, I just pray. Lord, that whatever you've placed on each one of these people's hearts, whether it's just to go on a short-term trip or even to commit to long-term missions um, somewhere in the world, God, I just pray that you would open the doors for them and you'd show them where you want them to be and what you want them to do, God. And I just pray that you give them courage and boldness to step out and do that and also to share their faith wherever it is that they are, whether it's here or in another country. And that if there's any fear, fear of failure, um, fear of being far away, fear for safety, fear for finances, God, I just pray that you would come in and take that fear away and show them what you want to do in their lives and in the cities that you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them a hand. Praise God. (laughs) Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Father, I thank you for every person that's here tonight, Lord. You know where we are. You know where we stand with you. And, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, this would be their night to come back to you. Maybe a prodigal child that you've walked away from the things of God. God loves you, but he wants you to come home to him.